Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and on this week's Unscrewed, we're going to have a conversation about masculinity. And I know this can be a little touchy, especially I know there are a lot of male listeners, um, and most of us love somebody who's a man. So I want to say up front, like, this isn't about men being bad, but also, at the same time, we have to admit there's something going wrong with masculinity. And I I ranted about it on last week's show, but I wanted to have a more productive conversation this week about what we can do collectively as a culture and as a series of interlocking communities to, that would be better for men and also for the rest of us. And for that, I could think of nobody better to talk to than Karen B.K. Chan, who is a sex and emotional literacy educator who's based in Toronto and does just really wonderful, cutting edge, compassionate thinking and research along these lines. So Karen B.K. Chan, thank you for being on Unscrewed. Thanks so much, Jacqueline. It is always lovely to talk to you. Yeah. So... Obviously, there's so much to talk about, but as you know, on Unscrewed, we always start with a little lightning round of the same questions. So the first one is, what has been making you happy this week? Puppy. Well, I call her my puppy, but really she's a dog. But in my heart, she's my puppy. Maybe that will annoy her, but um, <laughs> Mom! she's my puppy. Yeah. <laughs> puppy. Aw. Yeah. That's good. That's excellent. It's a great answer. Um... What is some of the best sex advice you've ever received? Best sex advice would be to be brave, to be really brave and put your heart or your desires or your vulnerabilities on your sleeve. It's very sexy. It's turned out to be very useful. <laughs> yeah, that is very sexy when you really commit to it. That's wonderful. And I love the definition of bravery as vulnerability. Yeah. That's really wonderful. All right. What has been making you the maddest or saddest lately when it comes to current events around sex and sexuality? Well, you know, I live in Toronto uh, mm. or Toronto to the rest of the world. And uh, it was here that recently there was um, an attack. And so I, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it. Uh, throughout the show but I think the that it happened that it was very specifically violence that is connected to sexual pain and 
subsequently all the fallout from it and how people have been talking about it it just makes me not want to talk about it i'm looking forward to talking about it though with you i feel like this is going to be a conversation i want to have but you know overhearing a lot of the things that are not helpful yeah i yeah. mean there's a lot of pain to go around yeah and a lot yeah. of anger to go around too yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely what is the biggest myth about sex that you used to believe but don't believe anymore? There, there are people who are hot, like, oh, um, yeah, that's a good one. Some kind of uh, classifiable definition that there, there are people who are hot and there are people who are not. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Fuck that shit. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad Excellent. we're on the same page. We are on the same page about that. I, I mean, it's something that I have to continually relearn like that idea definitely has not been excised from my brain but I don't believe it philosophically for sure yeah and I mean that like universally like I certainly find certain people hot like and other people not but so I I don't want to you know remove that evaluative assessment from my brain but you know like universally like I'm talking to 16 year olds and they're talking about you know she's a 10 he's a five Mm -hmm. you know things like that just that that i truly know that to be a myth yeah yeah all right last question who is someone who's doing really brave work right now to unscrew the sexual culture that you want to give a shout out to well i think everyone loves her so i wish i was like um, giving a shout out to somebody like s- smaller and unknown, but unfortunately, um, my biggest love is Esther Perel, and I think she just says really smart things um, and does it with such a genuine curiosity about people and um, a very kind heart. So I gotta say, it's her. Yeah, yeah. her podcast <laughs> was so gripping. It's so great. Yeah, so great. I just wish I was her you know, apprentice, friend, and daughter, and (laughs) client. (laughs) Amazing. Well, I hope you get to be one of those things, at least. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, you shouldn't be more than one of those things. (laughs) Yeah, probably all those things at once would be complicated and and possibly conflicted. But yeah. All right. Well, thank you. You survived the lightning round. Thank Uh, you. All right. So I, I'm really hurt and angry about men right now. Yeah. And I'm not a person who generally is like, fuck men, right? Like, mm-hmm. but it is, ch- I mean, it's challenging my intimate relationship with a man right now, mm-hmm. like, who is a lovely, sweet, well meaning human. And um, it is hard not to be like, what the f- ever loving fuck men? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that is not your approach, which is why I want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't mean I don't feel those do things. Do you feel those things too? Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't feel them in way when I'm like conscious of what I'm about to feel. <laughs> so sure. as in if I'm about to do a workshop or a training and I'm about to talk about masculinities and I'm talking about power and differences, I prepare for that somehow mentally right so I'm thinking I'm a bridge here I'm going to do some work here and I'm bracketing some of my own feelings and I come from a long history of dissociation so 
compartmentalization of my feelings is easy. Um, but, <laughs> and I mean, I say that both, you know, knowing that it's, it's painful, but also it's, uh, it's like a side perk of, of that skill. And I like to do it when it's conscious. The other part of it is when I get triggered basically in the world when I'm not ready, mm-hmm. when I'm not an educator, when I don't think I'm here to serve, when I'm just living my life. I feel a lot of the anger and the both like like seething anger and hatred and then a lot of sadness and pain and despair and helplessness. Yeah, like there's definitely despair in it too. Like yeah. I just fucking give up. Like I you know, the Schneiderman, I don't know how much you got the news about the New York Attorney General up in Canada, yeah. but Schneiderman, it, like, when my friends, like, panicked me about Trump, I'm like, it's okay, like, if Mueller has to get taken down, like, Schneiderman look at him, right? Like, right, right. Like, Schneiderman is part of, like, my, my sanity plan for, like, how we're going to get out of this most of us alive, Right. And then I was like, oh, right, like men's violent and grieved entitlement to women's bodies ruins literally everything, like yeah. just like literally everything. And and it was like some straw breaking a back of some kind. But like that, you know, and Juno Diaz, like there's just like mm-hmm. it just feels like there's constant drumbeat. And 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 I was literally talking to a friend of mine about this yesterday when another friend of ours posted a thing about like. Facebook's reorganization of like product design for better accountability and it was like 20 guys one (laughs) woman and one of the guys was maybe Indian like and the rest of them were white and and I literally tweeted like the world is cancelled like I give you know like (laughs) it's overwhelming right now and I really do try like you do although I think I succeed less than you do as an educator to be like, you know, like my philosophical stance is like, we can change everything that is the culture can be changed because we yeah. created it. And there's nothing inherent about men that yeah. makes them yeah. this way. You know, like we are, we are living in a really bad structure. And yeah. we need to figure out how to dismantle it and build something better. Yeah. But like, it's really hard to hang on to that shit, man. It is. But, you know, in those moments, I think about my parents who are invested in a relationship with me. And so what I ask of both of them in order to connect with me and to be a decent person in my books, because they are really decent people in their books. But in my books, like I'm asking for things like vulnerability. You know, it's not it, I don't even know how to translate that. Um and in those moments, I think, okay, these are people. These are people who are actually invested in doing this, and we've been trying for you know forty-one years. Well, maybe we we've only been actively trying for two decades, not four. But like, it's it's not going very far, and we see each other a lot. Mm. But I do see change, right? Like, there's change. Like, my mom is phenomenal. She went from being really about to disown me for being queer and coming out to her to becoming somewhat of an advocate among her peers. And that took, you know, years. Um, And other things take years. And so I think sometimes about them and they're invested and a random guy on the street or 
in my workplace or at the head of the organization that I'm working with, they might be invested in some kind of outcome, but they don't even love me. <laughs> Why right. are they going right. to change? It's going to take even longer. So I just think about my parents as like a calibration tool. Um, and that I think also, okay, so I'm going to do a part of that work. Jacqueline's going to do a part of that work and everyone's going to do a part of that work. And none of us will see results because that will be like a hundred years from now, but still <laughs> we got to do it. That's how sometimes, I don't know if that's defeatist or if actually very no, encouraging. I, mean, I, think, I think that's the only way to be real about it. I mean, in my good moments, that's what I tell other activists as well which is like you plant a seed and somebody else is going to water it and somebody else is going to be the sunlight and you almost never see the fruits of your work yeah but it's it's really hard sometimes so let's i want to talk about your work so you know like you and i know what we're talking about but my listeners mostly don't i'm thinking about this workshop you did a couple of years ago at the national sex ed conference that just really blew my mind and sort of and shifted my thinking and sort of opened my thinking a little about men and accountability for violence and how we raise boys and men and, and the sort of emotional literacy Mm -hmm. piece of all of that sort of, how do we, it's so hard for me to like phrase these questions. I'll even just be transparent because like (laughs) either they sound too soft or too hard, right? Like part of me wants to be like, how do we help men be better? And then I'm like, fuck that shit. They just get their shit together. And then there's the like part of me that wants to be like, well, how do we fix masculinity? And then I hear all the angry letters and tweets being composed in my head about like, men are fighting. We don't need you to fix us. Fuck you. Like, um, right. so I don't even know like the neutral way to phrase this question, <laughs> but maybe you can answer it anyway. Um, <laughs> maybe I should answer like all all of the questions yeah i'm really in my feelings today i'm sure in case you couldn't tell i think of it as when people are trying to sell something that's a very particular set of skills and you know i think in different industries in different fields we actually end up using similar skills right and so in marketing it might be called uh knowing your customer or if your competitors will call it manipulation um and in therapy and someone else will call it propaganda yeah yeah. exactly and in therapy the same thing i think is called empathy the same thing is called really understanding and working with and in social services it's called client-centered so when I think about working with men and shifting whatever possible, you know, culture, maybe behavior, maybe, but maybe mostly I'm interested in culture, less in behavior. I think that one follows the other. Uh, I think about buy-in. Yeah. I think about uh, my customers, these men, they're interested in something. They're never going to buy what I have to sell in terms of ideas that they're not in, that don't serve their interests. Yeah. Right. And so that's the frustrating part. So none of the stuff where I'm saying you're a terrible person, even if I just say because of how masculinity has shaped you, is interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't think many people are facing themselves that way. Maybe a few people, after they have witnessed some horrific thing they've done, they might think, wow, I'm a terrible person and I want to change. 
But most people are really invested in thinking of themselves as good people. And because they do try. I think back on times in my life when I've I've behaved really badly, you know, to my parents or to peers or to coworkers and so on. Those are all times when I felt truly justified. You know, I felt like either I was being attacked or I was being um, excluded or I was being bothered and annoyed. And so I really was living my truth and doing my best. So I think to sell to my potential customers, customers of thought, customers of culture, I really do have to know where they're at, which means I can't do it every day because sometimes Mm. I'm all about where I'm at, not where they're at. And how do these clients, customers, men come to you? You know, sometimes I'm related to them. And, <laughs> and I'm kind of brought into their lives. But a lot of times I'm doing trainings where they're mixed. You know, I don't know if you find this when a bunch of men or boys are brought into a room to talk about being boys and men, often there's a lot of defensiveness. Mm. And I don't find that to be a very, like, I feel like it's a bit of a setup for the educator. And it's a bit of a setup for the participants. So a lot of the people I really do actually connect with are in random places where I'm training um, a bunch of teachers, for example, on how to talk about sex with their gym class, you know, and then half of the teachers are men. And then that's when I think talking about masculinity can actually be quite fruitful because they're open and I'm going to keep them in an open zone. I call it the stretch zone, which I did talk about in the workshop. And so now I, I, I orient everything I do with that framework, which is I need my audience to be in their stretch zone and I need myself to be in my stretch zone. And anytime we're either one of us is outside of that, it's nobody's changing anything. We're just exhausting ourselves. I think it's so important that you pointed out that you and they are just not always going to be in their stretch zone and that that's Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. um because i think sometimes this conversation gets framed in in all or nothing terms like saying sometimes i can be in a stretch zone and sometimes i'm not leaves room for me to be in a like i literally can't with men right now mood yeah and then be able to can sometimes right like yeah yeah I think that's a really lovely way to think about it I mean we talk about self-care we talk about you know support systems and things like that as frontline educators but I think it's a terrible thing that so many people doing the education about a kind of social injustice like gendered violence for example are people who have experienced gendered violence who are still wounded possibly from gendered violence who are easily triggered by talking about gendered violence and talking to people who might be perpetrating gendered violence. I think for many years I would not put myself in front of a room to do like a coming out story as a queer person. It was just like, um, rewounding me all the time when a mm. when a person in the room says totally just out of curiosity was it because you went to an all-girls school Ugh. as a <laughs> I know right but as an educator who I feel like have scars I can answer that question in a way that keeps that person in their stretch zone because I'm in my stretch zone mm-hmm. or even in my comfort zone 
But for many years, that kind of question would have sent me right into my panic. And I would have had to blow this person's head off. Right. Right. right? You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. Absolutely. So when you are in your stretch zone and they are also in their stretch zone, what's the approach? My approach has been some kind of mishmash of helping someone understand their story. I think one of the, the perfect design of masculinity to fuck up this world, part of that design is that people who are practicing it first become dehumanized, right? So men walk around assuming a certain power because they've been told and shown they have this power, but it doesn't come without a cost. And the cost is their dehumanization. That actually helps them dehumanize other people. And it looks like nothing. It feels like nothing. So when later on in life, somebody says, hey, stop dehumanizing your partner, your coworkers, your children, or whatever, you're holding everyone around you hostage. And you can call it a bad temper, or you can call it somebody who's sexually frustrated. Any, any one of these manifestations, when you confront this person, it feels like that's just what the world has done to me. Right. You know, right. So that's their experience. And you hear, I mean, that's what you hear from, for example, the incels, right? The, yeah. Sort of like, and that's why I've started saying not just male entitlement, but aggrieved entitlement, because it is that sense of sort of like they genuinely feel like they are the victims. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's kind of like people who think actually the jobs are all going to the immigrants. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's that same engrieved entitlement that, yeah, exactly. That's like so, a, a racist engrieved entitlement. Yeah, or a xenophobic exactly. engrieved entitlement. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so why does that happen? It's because there is a problem. There is a stress in life, you know, a lack of a job or I want to have sex and nobody wants to have sex with me. There's that thing that happens and I have no tools to make sense of it. I have no tools to get over it, I have no tools to heal from the pain, if I have no tools to even acknowledge the pain, right? So often, I think that's something that masculinity does, and I think that's something that also other kinds of privileges do. But specifically around masculinity, this idea that emotional pain is such a taboo, so then what we do is we grow these human beings into people who have almost no practice mm -hmm. of healing and managing pain. They might have practice of holding back their tears of being, you know, have the shit beat out of them for, you know, being weak, but they don't actually have any skill or opportunity to practice this really important thing, which is when shit happens, how do I get onto the other side and still be aligned with my values of who I want to be? Right. And so I think this is where you've said, you know, most people believe and want to be good people and believe they are. And I do think that most people who do really hurtful things are doing their best. They just have a very reduced amount of goodness that they can do. And I think that masculinity reduces that. 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So, you know, back to your question, which is, how do you do it? Before I even talk about gender violence and rape culture and maybe aggression that they show to the people in their family whenever they're embarrassed, you know, before we even get there, I have to tell the story of what might have happened to them so that they can start actually identifying with some of these experiences. Is that really hard labor because for me (laughs) I grok why that is such an important step and Mm -hmm. I think it is a step that gets skipped a lot because it is so hard as you know the you're right the frontline people who are doing this work are often women are are often survivors of different kinds of male violence Mm -hmm. and to say like, in order to get you to stop hurting other people, we have to focus on you and feel your pain first. Like, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> it puts, yeah, I know. <laughs> how, how is that for you? How do you experience that work? It's some days impossible and other days really okay. I situate myself this way. I think that I, like, tried to practice masculinity myself. Um, I was trying to like parent myself into a boy Mm. secretly. Mm -hmm. That was sort of my experience as a young person. And so I have some experiences of the loneliness of masculinity as a young person who's, who felt just nothing but fear. And all I could show was I don't care. And so like that sort of dichotomy of fear and apathy And then other times when apathy wasn't good enough, then I had to show, actually, I I need to hurt other people in order to to get by. And then it kind of like really set into me. I felt a kind of anger towards the world. That's part of it. Like, I feel like I have some experience, although, you know, very different if the world expects it of me too. And then I have another side of the experience as a woman as a queer person, as somebody, you know, as a person of color who you just never know when something racist is happening, you know, Mm -hmm. did that Mm -hmm. person, you know, dismiss me because of this or that you just never know. Mm -hmm. Um, and so having some insight into those things, it makes it easier for me. And it's interesting that, you know, I don't have to spend hours upon hours talking to a man about how he's the victim, But I just have to sometimes mention 
that masculinity produces a lot of loneliness, for example. Mm. And it takes away some of our tools for dealing with loneliness. And then it gives us like two tools for dealing with loneliness. And those are sometimes hurting other people or withdrawing completely. So apathy and or aggression. And then I just really quickly see some some kind of connection most of the time. You know, I'm not asking for them to to cop to right. the violence they've they've uh, done, and often we don't get there because it's such a charged thing to talk about now. You know, I, I actually think it's a terrible thing, and we talked a little bit about that in in the workshop that you and I met at. That the there's so much fear around taking accountability, right? We see what happens; people's careers are completely decimated. So I think I don't expect people in, in a room with me to be like, oh, yeah, you're right. I totally like, you know, take it out on my kids or. Right. Right. I don't expect because that. they're I thinking accept- if I say that out loud, my kids may be taken away from me. Yeah. All kinds of consequences. Yeah. Right now we, we have like bad men and men we have yet to have found out are bad. I mean, that is what it feels like. Right? That is, I mean, I hate, I hate feeling that way. I don't philosophically believe that, but I feel that emotionally. Yeah. Yes. It's really intense right now. And I, that is one of the things that hurt me the most, the unwillingness to figure out what I might have done that has hurt somebody. Not because I don't, I essentially don't want to do that, but because I'm so afraid of like catastrophic things that could happen to me. So if having severe consequences for sexual predations or abuses scares abusers out of being accountable, but having no accountability, right, like, yeah. just creates impunity. Like, let me ask you this question. I actually asked people when I interviewed them for my book, for Unscrewed, this question. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to ask it to you now. Mm-hmm. If you, if I was a genie mm-hmm. and I could grant you three wishes that would help to heal or build a new masculinity, yeah, what would you use those three wishes on? Wow. I think I would, for one, change the experiences that young people have growing up. The depth of disconnection, the depth of loneliness, the depth of nobody cares about me, so I don't care about them. I would want to change that. Well, I I, I want that for everyone. And would we change that by giving all parents a different kind of support or by changing the way schools work or all of the above and plus something yeah all of the above yeah plus something what is that thing well you know it's funny because um with such a hopeful question this is when i feel my despair Mm. because even when i can wish for anything I don't know what I could wish for that would change this this network, this intricately formed system of dehumanization. Mm. So that's one of the things. Somehow disconnection feels like key. 
that the moment that somebody feels a little bit more connected to be recognized as, you know, their full human self, that I think a lot of things become possible. And I do think it's a stage thing. Like in this moment, we have to swing this way. We have to swing this far because there's like a huge barrier to change, right? We have to knock the barrier over. But it doesn't mean we should be doing Me Too for the rest of time. What would be a humanizing reaction that would still involve accountability? I think some some uh, smaller circles of people are trying it. So actually getting people to understand what harm they've caused. So maybe a conversation when the survivor is ready. But a lot of education, a lot of connecting with people who are important to the perpetrator, actually. Um, and for there to be like a community so that you don't become excommunicated when you've been found to do something that's hurtful, that you, in fact, have people around you come closer to you and say, you must have really like missed the boat on something. So here we are going to help you. It's not people disappearing, but people appearing and staying by your side and say, you know, man, I'm going to hold you accountable. Uh, We're going to learn about this together and so on. And then I do think aside from like learning theory and policy and rules and law, what's really important is to equip people with the ability to actually humanize the person they hurt. You know, so much of the hurt can happen because there is not a person there. I don't care how they feel. Mm hmm. Right. And so I do think there we have tools. Psychotherapy has tools. Psychodrama has tools. Transformational justice have tools to make people feel something, not like to legislate and restrict them out of doing harm. So I don't know, it could, you know, you could talk to me in three years and I could be like, oh, that was such an idealistic. I mean, I, (laughs) I love it philosophically, but I do worry about two things in this conversation. One is the amount of labor that it would require of survivors. And I don't want to require, honestly, anything of survivors that they don't actively want to do. And not every survivor is going to have anything to do with their perpetrator ever. Yeah. And I want that to be totally fine. And I think sometimes talking about that kind of process puts pressure on survivors to, like, participate in healing a perpetrator. And I I have just real protective mama bear concerns about that. Yeah. And I I totally agree. I think we cannot put somebody in that position. But if they put they're willing to put themselves in in that position they because want of what yeah. yeah because of what is in it for them yeah right if it could be a part of their healing and it is sometimes oh uh, sure absolutely right? and then, then that would be a perfect yes uh, as an option i i love it but then my other question is I just think some of these guys are really good talkers, right? Like, mm-hmm. And I think that there's some subset of them who can perform education and revelation and rehumanization mm-hmm. and then go on to some other community, 
like and mm. just run their game again and i i literally don't know what to do about that i'm not advocating like the answer is the prison industrial complex i just right. i don't feel fully satisfied that we have yeah. an answer yet i guess is all i'm saying no i yeah. have to i'm with you can i ask you a personal question yeah please so you said that growing up you sort of parented yourself into masculinity and that it led to a place where you were feeling a lot of anger and possibly even hurting other people. Mm-hmm. How did you move out? What was the intervention that mattered to you? I became a feminist. <laughs> how did you become? But how? How? Like, yeah, it what, was what by chance. You? Yeah, it was actually a total accident. Uh, I was just. Uh, pretty stuck in a very uh, small new development suburbs and there was one library with a very small collection and I was actually researching books in preparation for what I had at the time wanted which was a sex change a sex reassignment and I was um 15 or 16 and as you can imagine in the small Meadowvale library there were not a lot of books um (laughs) in the in the late 80s about sex reassignment surgery they were actually mostly books from the 60s and 70s so there was just like really horrific kinds of descriptions of what people would do to your body so I read all those and then they were next to books about queerness or lesbianism yeah Um, and inverts. And so I read those as well, because, you know, sometimes they had like a chapter on special inverts who wanted to change their sex. And I read those and then those were happened to be next to feminist books. There was just like the Dewey Decimal System. (laughs) It was the Dewey Decimal System. (laughs) That's amazing. And I read the feminist books. And I at that moment, I learned about racism. And I was like, Oh, I think I've internalized a lot of racism. And so, you know, I, I, I think I was a product of, like, information that was given to me while I was not defensive. And I, uh, I learned I was very misogynistic. And that while, yes, my gender unhappiness is uh, a standalone experience, I had internalized a lot of misogyny. And that was hard, but because I was alone with a book, Mm. it was a little bit easier. I don't know if I would have been able to do that with a bunch of people telling me I was misogynist. Like a bunch of people yelling at you on Twitter. It's certainly not that, but even like well-meaning people in a room who who would be like, you know, you've internalized this thing and or you've just, you know, absorbed it. So that's how I I just started linking like a lot of anger about all different things and noticing when I lie about having been born in Canada versus being an immigrant, that is an example of this. And that's because of that. So it was by chance. Do you remember what the books were? I definitely uh, read The Second Sex and some Betty Friedan and... Wow, old school stuff. Old school stuff. I read um, a lot of Gloria Steinem, um, (laughs) uh, Marilyn French, you know, all those good 70s. I became basically a white feminist. (laughs) 
and then you needed to experience an intervention with that at some point, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> it, it really, it helped me out a lot. I learned a lot. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. So we're running out of time. I want to, I feel like I could talk to you like for a whole other episode. Maybe we'll do another one. Yes. Um, but I wonder before I let you go, if you could, for everybody listening, regardless of their gender, regardless of, or maybe you can specify if it, if it differentiates, what would you have the average person listening do who's concerned about the current path of masculinity and wants to help bring something better into the world? Well, one is to put ourselves in that stretch mindset and then go and have new conversations. So because of what um, is happening in my personal life this week, I'm remembering, you know, when my grandmother was dying years ago and all of us were terrified. She was terminally ill and um, all my aunties and uncles were like running around trying to cheer her up. But we, we talked about everything except how she was feeling because we were afraid um, that she would say that she was afraid or that she didn't want to die um, or that she even knew she was dying. But the most important conversation that was had with her was when someone said, are you scared? And everything about her changed. So I think that version of the conversation is, you know, to talk to the fathers who may have been tyrants in the home and now he's older to, to actually maybe say, hey, those years, those were really hard for you. You know, not, I don't mean, you know, to erase the story and take away the the story of the people who have been hurt the most, but also to recognize the pain often that's connected to the person who's striking out and hurting other people, if and when we can. And to say to the kid at school, you know, you're sad today, as opposed to like, get up, you don't have anything to be mm. sad about. So just to be a little bit less afraid of the softer, the sadder, the painful parts because it's actually so much of the shit we're in is because we don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. And we don't have practice and we hide it and we lash out. I think starting with kids is for me, the easiest thing to conceive of, right? Because they're still forming and honestly it requires less of me than to say to someone who has been abusive or, you know, like, you know, I think about my nephews and I think a lot about what you said in that workshop about, you know, just like preparing men and boys to just be emotionally resilient, right? Like to have tools that if they get rejected, it doesn't feel like that they're dying, right? Like that they, that like when we start by teaching everybody, all kids, but especially boys that like that all of their feelings are okay and valid and important and 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 that being tender-hearted is a good thing that's the piece that gives me hope and that feels like a lift i can do mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i feel that way too often with, with children because the rest is really hard it's really it's so important like i'm so <laughs> glad that you and other people are doing that work i 
I am so glad. And that, and then also like the idea of me approaching it is like, sounds like me approaching like a hot stove. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean that it makes so much sense. And I don't think we need to all do the same thing, you know, like most of what you do, I could never do. I would be too scared. Interesting. You know, and I used to think, oh, do I want to talk about love and connection? Because I'm just a coward. And no, I guess I don't think I'm a coward. These things are hard for me, too. And they take a lot of courage. But it's just how we're built. And I think, you know, we all serve our purpose somehow. Yeah. We, it's differently. Right? We, we need all of us. Because I think, like, I could never do what you do. And I'm so in awe of it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's actually great that's a great thing for us to both remember and for everybody to remember that we each are doing the piece that we can do the way that we can yeah. do it yeah and doing it well yeah thank you yeah. so much this is a great i just feel a little better actually <laughs> after talking to you oh um, i, I know hope... that wasn't the point but it was really yeah lovely. i was gonna say i don't know if that's a good thing <laughs> <laughs> no it is i just feel seen and I feel calmer and I feel you always make me feel a little just a little softer and more tenderhearted <laughs> which is good that's amazing yeah so thank you so much for talking to me yeah so Karen BK Chan where can people follow your work and what do you have upcoming that people can connect to they can uh, check me out at fluidexchange.org org um, and I basically am, am mostly there. I also am a very occasional tweeter, and it's just at Karen BK Chan. Upcoming, I am doing a lot of trainings and presentations, which is the first love. Uh, I love speaking. Um, and then I'm going to take a couple months off to try to put together a book proposal because one yes. of these days I'd like to actually do some writing. You have a lovely little book out. I do. I do. It's a little picture book and it rhymes. So um, if you go to my website, there's a way to to get a hold of it. And then it's also in a number of little independent bookstores. But it's basically about facing the monsters inside of us that are really hard to look at. And then they feel bigger and bigger and bigger until you turn around and look at them. And then they're kind of adorable. And then they might be adorable. (laughs) Or they could be really hard to look at. Yeah. Oh, still. They're they're less big when you turn and look at them. Anyway, it's a really lovely book and people should check it out. Is it it's called Monster, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And folks can find me on Twitter at Jacqueline F J A C L Y N F and on Instagram at Jacqueline Effable and on my website at JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F R I E D M A N dot com. I don't have a ton coming up, but I will have some things on the schedule soon. Summer tends to be my like time to catch my breath. Yeah, and just in terms of public events, but you can find my writing and all that good stuff there too. And you can find Unscrewed, this wonderful podcast, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Acast or Stitcher. While you're in your app or whatever you're listening to this, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And also, you know what I want you to do? Give us five stars and a little review to help other people find the show. It makes such a big difference and it makes my heart sing. Uh, (laughs) Be tenderhearted and give us a little review. 
Unscrewed is produced and edited by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman. The In and Out music is by The Pink Tiles, and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was developed in collaboration with the establishment, who also developed the sound cues. Until next week, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.